really your business is it's an ecosystem. Your software has to work with your process and your process has to inform your software and your business model is going to inform what kind of technology you should be using and how you should be using it. And it's going to determine what team you need to have and if you need to have a team and all of those things really interplay in a way that we don't normally think about our businesses. This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind the scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss, show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. On today's episode, I've invited a badass business owner client of mine who I had the pleasure of coaching back in 2017, and I'm excited to share how much her business has evolved from the work that we did back then. Badass business owner, Susan Bowles. Susan is a virtual CFO and finance and operations strategist for agencies, consultants, and coaches at ScaleSpark. And she's on a mission to help founders build sustainable, resilient businesses that punch above their weight. She's also the host of the Break the Ceiling podcast, the show that breaks down unconventional strategies you can use to save time, boost your profit, and increase your operational capacity. I was fortunate enough to be a guest on her podcast a few months ago, and we had a really great conversation. So definitely go check that out. I will also try to find that and link to it in the show notes. In this conversation, we're going to chat about how Susan went from hating sales and struggling to explain what she did to using her lead product to close clients in 20-minute conversations. The difference between listening to client opinions about how you should run your business and responding to client needs that you know you can solve. And how, like many of you, Susan brings knowledge on a lot of different topics to the table and yet keeps her positioning of her brand narrow and tight so people can easily understand what she does and who she's for. So buckle up. Here we go. Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm great. Is that a real screen behind you or a Zoom screen? Oh, is that your wall? Oh, yeah, oh okay. My wall scale spark color. <laughs> it was really hard to find a color, but you there, mean it was find a, it was a whole thing to find your brand color? Yeah. So oh. I had no idea that you can't like go and say, "Hey, here's the hex color, here's the Pantone right. color," and that the paint store is going to look at you like you have just a third head. I mean, like I'm trying to, but I want it like this. I want yeah. it to be like this. Yeah. So this is the closest we got, which is electric blue. It looks spot on. Yeah. That's not yeah. Good. Yeah. You know what? Actually, your color, I'm very familiar with the color of your brand because <laughs> over the year, obviously, because we yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> look at colors a lot and your particular blue we used for, you know, a brand here and there like a long time ago. But the thing about the quality of it is it, it is particular to being on a screen. It, yeah, it, it doesn't translate well. Well, yeah, when you start printing colors like that, it beco- it feels like it's a lot flatter because it's mm-hmm. so vibrant and electric on your website. But that has to do with all of the pixels. I just remember that, you know, because <laughs> clients don't get that. And they're like, why doesn't this look the same? I'm like, because it's paper. <laughs> yeah, it's, it doesn't have it light is, behind it. Like, <laughs> lately, I've been on a quest to find an equivalent green. So as I've like shifted from software stuff to more financey stuff, I'm trying to find a green that like matches the energy and like vibrancy of the yeah. blue. And it's been real hard. <laughs> yeah, I like the <laughs> green you have so far. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, yeah. it's like a you know, well again i'm in like not, this weird like mid sort yeah like i sort of ended up rebranding but not where really i was like i just want to add a green to the palette like i just <laughs> i just want to add a green to the palette and off we went down this other whole rabbit hole that um, yeah that's all yeah. the thing oh, branding <laughs> your brand's looking that's great whole thing. your brand's looking it's very cool okay. i don't love I, it it's I, yeah i love the <laughs> You you got that, you hit that sweet spot that uh, we're fun, it's cartoony, but it's also serious and, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're going for. Yeah, I'm I, yeah, familiar with it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you're doing it well. You're doing it very nicely. Well, thank you. It's great to see you, Susan. You too. I feel like it's been forever. 
it has. It has. But I'm getting your emails. emails (laughs) I'm loving your emails. I'm I'm hiring everyone. You're everything you're picking up. I'm picking it up right (laughs) behind you. I forgot about um, Brighton too. I forgot to email. It's like I also use Brighton. Like I just use all of your people. (laughs) Well, it's so funny because I. Like you have asked who I'm hiring, like right after I hire them. And I'm like, that's so, that's so weird. Why? (laughs) I don't know. Like it's one of those synchronicity things where I'm like, oh, I'm hiring no one. And I hired nobody for what, two and a half years where I was like, it's just me. There's nobody here. And then about a year ago, I was like, yeah, I need help. (laughs) And just have been consistently hiring, but only, only consultant type people. Right. And yeah, really, I would say this is probably the first time that I like feel 100% supported in terms of like what needs to happen in my business. But also I'm still feeling like really behind the eight ball because we're like, I'm trying to move so fast on some stuff that I'm like, it doesn't work when you have consultants and you want to move fast. (laughs) It does sometimes, but like the strategy piece is the, where I'm like, I know where we're going, but we need to be there now because now... (laughs) I know. Oh my gosh. Let's talk about all of that, especially because I'm, I'm ready. I can't believe I'm saying this. I'm ready to, to bring on someone full-time or like part-time to full-time. Yeah. Yeah. For that exact reason. And actually it happened on this podcast interviewing another (laughs) contact of mine. I'm such an easy sell. He made such a good, he made such a good uh, pitch and kind of made me realize how, how scarred I had been from my previous and I know you've had some of these experiences. I don't know how, yeah. how quickly, how much you've gotten over them, but I've I been so, I have so much PTSD from being stuck with employees that weren't helping and were just sucking my money and time and energy. And yes. he was like, that's not how it is. That's just when you don't know how to have employees. I'm paraphrasing, of course, but that's what I got from him. I, said, I mean, he was not wrong, oh, yeah. but I right. still also... <laughs> <laughs> like I'm happy to support clients and like help them figure out how to manage their team. I'm still not like, yeah, we're scarred. Hey, Susan. Hi. <laughs> hey, I'm just jumping right in. No, let's let's back up and talk about exactly that because you have actually so much experience in business more than most people I meet because you had different kinds of businesses before. Like before we met, yeah. you had a whole. I, I don't, I felt, I feel like you had multiple businesses, but it may have just been the store. No, but I don't know. It, it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And that, yeah. And that's where you got the scar, <laughs> the, yeah, the PTSD. But, yeah. Not just businesses. So my very first business was as a professional organizer back in like 2006, when you could just throw up a website and mm. get clients. And it was mm-hmm. like, that's all I did. I was, I was like, oh, I have a website. I'm a professional organizer now. And people were like, cool, come organize my stuff. The second business we owned was a guest ranch in northwestern Colorado. And then that moved into the uh, running store. So we did a brick and mortar running store for three right. years before ScaleSpark. And I met you like right at the beginning of what eventually became ScaleSpark. It wasn't ScaleSpark at that point. Right. And that was a nightmare. And you finally got out of that. We finally got out of that. And it's been a huge relief. Well, for, yeah. can you just tell me in a nutshell, what was so bad about that? <laughs> that, that's business. The mm-hmm. part for me that was really difficult was that the first two businesses we started together were really, really capital intensive. So mm-hmm. we started with a lot of debt and not a lot of cushion. And that was really, really stressful. And yeah. one of the reasons I kept a full-time job for so long was that that was kind of our, that was our backup. It's just exhausting. And there's, there's no way around it being exhausting. And it's impossible. Like, like it's, it is. And I, I think I did a pretty good job of it, but I also didn't sleep. You know, you would get emails from me at four o'clock in the morning <laughs> because I was up at four o'clock in the morning <laughs> doing work. And I mean, there were a lot of good things that came out of it because that's where I learned a lot of my skills. Skills Yeah. Like that's, I had to, because I didn't have another choice. Right. Businesses had to run. I wasn't going to be there full time. So as automatic as I could make my part of the job, the better. So you and I connected at the end of 2017, beginning of 2018. And I I didn't realize like, what was scale spark then? Because it was it was like Grinder. <laughs> or something. Yeah. So originally the name was Grind Revive. Um, Grind Revive, I, right? I mean, change it because it was too close to Grinder. 
And my uh, Facebook messenger just became 100% useless because it was just inundated with messages from people who thought they, I guess they thought they were messaging Grinder. I, I don't know. But That's it ended so up being, funny. you know, spelling wise, just too close. Yeah, I guess. That, was, that was funny. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about what it was back then. What was the first iteration of that business? What was the idea? So the idea behind ScaleSpark actually came because I was working as an outsourced CFO at a virtual accounting firm. And one of the frustrations that I had was that we kept implementing tools that weren't the right tool. They were really close, but there's a lot of nuance in comparing similar software products. So we kept doing software implementations for clients where I was like, this isn't actually going to fix the problem. Like it looks on the outside, like from the marketing perspective of this software firm, it is going to, it looks like it's going to fix their problem. But in reality, it's not fixing the thing that they need it to fix. They should have gone with this other tool. Uh, but I couldn't get early enough in the sales process to kind of make that happen. And I got really frustrated with doing implementations for Clients that I knew it was like, I wanted to fix the problem and I knew it wasn't going to do it. And so what actually started the, the kind of the impetus for Skillspark was me going, well, if nobody else is going to tell people what the right tool is, I will. And I was a little early to the game because <laughs> uh, that was, I guess, the beginning of 2017. And, you know, Zapier was still pretty new. So I was calling myself a cloud integrator and people were like, uh, excuse me, what is that? I don't. I don't know. You're fixing problems for people who don't even know these are actual problems because it requires a lot of understanding and knowledge in order to know that your systems don't even work as optimally as they could, right? I mean, you're solving a problem yeah. people don't really know they have. Yeah, people feel the pain of the problem. Right. They, they don't identify that that's the solution, really. Right. And so, so ScaleSpark started off as a software consultancy that I didn't know what to call it. Right. And... It was a software consultancy around project management and finance and because I couldn't turn off the financial part of me. Like mm -hmm. I was a CFO professionally. Mm -hmm. Finding a way to talk about how all, you know, how finance and software and project management and your workflow and your process all kind of intermingle was really very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. And so at the beginning, I had a really hard time talking about what I did. So people who knew and understood what I did, who like intimately knew me, were hiring me. And mm -hmm. then they could tell people what I did. But it was really difficult to say, here's what I do. And here's why you should hire me. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's, it's weird. There's not really anybody out there doing exactly that. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that it didn't exist. And I felt like everyone I know, including myself, was like, we all need this. Why doesn't this exist? We all need it. But very yeah. few people have, you know, one of the benefits of having been a military spouse is that every two years I had to pick up and figure out what I was doing. So I had to be really flexible in terms of how I interpreted my job description and using that to pivot from one position to another and ended up with this weird experience of having a financial background and having a software background. Like I've done large scale software implementations like ERP level implementations and a background in data analytics. And one of my previous jobs had webmaster thrown in. So I was like early on building websites and, you know, very few people have that kind of experience. Most people take a little bit straighter path to where they're going. <laughs> right. The understanding of all these different pieces that is why you're able to do the thing that you're able to do and why it probably doesn't exist in a lot of places because you have to have um, a, a mile wide and an inch deep on a lot of things yes. in order to be able to see the big picture of the software. So just to be clear, like for laymen, you go into people's sy software systems and you fix them. Like what the CRM is, who it's talking to. We all we all know what it's like when you start signing up for SaaS model, monthly recurring payments on all these different platforms. And at a certain point, you're like, what am I paying for? And how are these all doing it? And am, why am I paying multiple times for different places that do the same thing? And I'm confused. That's how I felt yeah. at least. Yeah, exactly. And really, your business is, it's an ecosystem. Your software has to work with your process and your process has to inform your software. And your business model is going to inform what kind of technology you should be using and how you should be using it. And it's going to determine what team you need to have and if you need to have a team. And all of those things really 
interplay in a way that we don't normally think about our businesses. You know, we normally think about our businesses as a silo. So marketing is over here, sales is over here, our finance process is here, our technology is here. And when we think we have a problem, we kind of pick the pick that thing out of the box it's in, pay attention to it and put it back in the box. And that works up to a certain point, but eventually when you have that kind of all fix a finance problem, by just paying attention to finance, or I'll pick a team problem by just paying attention to team, you're really missing out on all of these other levers you can use to change what your business is and to fix problems. You know, there are hundreds of different ways that you can fix a problem in your business. And what decision you make about how to fix that problem will ultimately inform how your business runs. And so I give us an example. So one of my favorite examples is probably the choice about uh, time and materials billing or value-based billing. And most people tend to approach that from, well, you know, it's easier to sell it or let's package our things this way. But I like focusing on it from an operational standpoint, right? So if you think about the workflow that comes with time and materials billing, you have to have a software system that's going to be able to track time against a specific project or a specific client. You have to have a method to turn that time into an invoice that you can send them. You have to have a way to send them the invoice. You have to then follow up with them for payment if they don't pay you. And then close the loop. So that's a whole lot that you need to like streamline or optimize and figure out technology for. Maybe you need to hire a team member for it. But if you think about the operational benefits of going to, here's the thing, here's how much it costs, the workflow becomes push the button, pay the money, maybe sign a contract, do the work. And that's it. Like, that's the whole thing. Preaching to the choir. <laughs> you don't necessarily see that if you're not looking at what is this business mm -hmm. in the big picture? What is the ecosystem? What is the easiest, simplest way to fix this problem and not have to deal with streamlining or automating or, you know, right. any of those like nitty gritty pieces. Right. Charge up front. Don't do the work until you've been paid in full. And you'll never have to do all of those processes that chase payments, follow up exactly. on invoices, keep your time, keep your, your billable hours and all of that. Yeah. I mean, I basically did that in my business to simplify it because I didn't even want to deal with the idea of coming up with those systems that you're talking yeah, about. I don't, it I don't either. It's yeah. Very similarly, like I would rather spend my time doing literally anything else than figuring out how to invoice clients. I love right. helping people invoice clients, but we're going to do this automatically. I am not going to be the one that's helping you figure out a process to like document your ridiculously long 42 step process to create an invoice. You're talking about systems and cash flow management. I look at that as just business strategy, like business modeling and strategy. And ultimately, that's really what my business has always been about. I think the right. ways I'm working with clients really fundamentally hasn't changed all that much over the mm. last four years. How I talk about it has changed significantly. Mm -hmm. uh, how I'm positioning it has changed significantly. But the day-to-day -day of what I was doing has always been business strategy. And the tools that I use to execute the strategy has been technology or financial data or team management. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of people have the issue of trying to explain all the things that they do and they and that that's their issue with their brand. Everybody listening um, is like, here's all the things that I can do. And what do you want? I have a, a diner menu of options for you because I have so many capabilities and I don't want to scare away somebody who might be able to be helped by this set of services over here. And what you are a perfect example of is the fact that you obviously behind the scenes have a diner menu of, of expertise <laughs> that you are bringing to the table, but you're not pitching yourself as a business coach strategist. I mean, there, that's in there, but you really have positioned yourself very beautifully in the outsource CFO technology. Well, actually tell me how it's evolved because you were in my program and then I was, and then I watched you build it and I was like, yes, that's awesome. Susan, that's awesome. And then as soon as you're done, I was like, great, now I need that <laughs> because <laughs> I wanted you to build that because I need that. And then I hired you and you did an incredible job for my systems and all of that. And then you've just continued to evolve since then, because that was a few years ago. So what, what is the, how has the positioning evolved since 2018? So I really, 
Yeah, the work I do with clients hasn't fundamentally changed. And surprisingly, a lot of the structures in place haven't changed that much either. So the the lead product that I built during your program hasn't significantly changed. Like it's still fundamentally the action plan that I sell now. Wait, tell us Um, about your lead product. So my lead product is an action plan. And when I was working with you on it, I think it was called Unwind the Grind. And it was mostly focused on software systems because that's really how I was positioning it. Mm -hmm. And over time, it's evolved into that's a piece of it. But Mm -hmm. we also look at we do a financial health check to look at your cash flow, look at problems there. We do an operations audit. So I'm looking at, do you have the right team in place? Do you have the right support in your business? Are the right people in the right positions with the right skills to be able to like take your business from where it is now to where you want it to be? So this now incorporates all of those different aspects that could solve the problem because mm-hmm. most people come to me when they hit kind of a growth ceiling of mm-hmm. I have hit this capacity and either I have to decide to stop selling or I have to grow a team or I need to kill myself working. Mm-hmm. So the action plan is really designed to look at all the all those levers I was talking about, all those tools at our disposal. So technology or people or workflow or financial systems and figure out what needs to happen to remove that capacity ceiling and creates a plan for that to happen. Can I highlight something for a second? Because what is so brilliant about this? So, you know, y'all know I'm always pitching that you need a lead product. And and Susan's is a perfect example of that because the lead product should always be doing the same thing. It's just doing it in your way. Susan is saying like, here's your problem and I'm going to give you the solution. You're going to pay for the solution. It's action plan, not audit. Not like, let me pull apart your business and tell you what's wrong with it. Like, let me tell you how you can fix this problem. And she's bringing a suite of expertise and she's got a whole toolbox that she can use, but she's sitting down and asking a lot of questions, getting the information and then saying, here's how you solve that. And people will pay for that, right? Before they get a proposal. They've been doing it for four years. They just buy it. (laughs) Well, and I like it because it's a really flexible container. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's a process. It's very productized behind the scenes. You know, I've got four years worth of, I've written this block and this block and this block. But Ultimately, it's really able to be focused on the specific problem that we're dealing with. So sometimes people are coming in and they're focused on, is this the right technology for me? And maybe it is, maybe it's not. And we can spend a little bit more time on that part of the action plan if that's their main concern. Some people come in and they're really concerned about cash flow and finances and their financial systems. And we can spend more time on that area. Um, Mm -hmm. But I like that it's a very flexible container to customize. Mm -hmm. And also, it's consistently the same process and has been pretty much the same thing for four years. So I... Yeah, that was probably my favorite takeaway from working with you. And it hasn't changed. What's the process like of selling those? Super easy. <laughs> it's, you know, it's on my website. I have a really detailed, here's how the process works. Here's what's included. You can click and buy through a Calendly link. So you can book the book the session and buy. I normally have, uh, uh, I guess it's a sales call, but I kind of talk about it as, are we a good fit? So I call it a good fit call and it's 20 minutes and get on and you tell me what's going on with your business. And I say, are we a good fit or not? And if we are, then that's pretty much the thing I'm going to sell you on. That's changed. Because that's a good place to start. But yeah, if we're planning on working one-on-one together, everybody starts there. I love it. You know, I love it. And that's been the same for four years since since we worked together. That process hasn't changed. That's awesome. And you obviously haven't done a proposal since then. This has replaced it. So I will say part of part like the end of the action plan when I deliver the action plan, I also deliver a right. That's the proposal to work. Yeah. So I do a proposal. Proposal, but that has gotten less. It used to be when I was doing big software implementations, it was slightly, it was a, a more formal proposal. Right. But the Most, plan is the proposal because the it's like, here's the, the plan. So yeah, like, my proposal is that I will <laughs> do this before. That we uh, work together to do this. Do it. Yeah. And originally that was 
as a one-off kind of project software implementation. Uh And that evolved into, we're going to work together as a retainer for the most part. Occasionally, I'll still throw out a, a project here and there, but that's gotten significantly less over the last couple of years. So are most of your clients retainer? So the beginning of 2018, I was really focused on what do I need to do in ScaleSpark so I can quit my full-time job? Because I was still working full-time, remember? So I was almost full-time in ScaleSpark and full-time as a CFO. So it wasn't like a non-demanding job. And I had a kid. So I went into 2018 going, what do I need to do? How How do I quit this? And I realized that I needed recurring income. I really needed that as a safety net to know... Um, that I could pull the trigger and quit. So I started to think about my services in a new way. So I'd been doing software implementation and most of that implementation time was spent training people on how to use the systems or how to manage projects for a lot of the, a lot of it. I was working with agencies primarily. And so you'd get somebody trained and they would rotate out and you'd have to train somebody else. Like, this is ridiculous. This is a waste of time. <laughs> like They're paying me money. It's a waste of their resources because as soon as I get somebody trained, they leave. And that was also a good chunk of the, you know, $50,000, $60,000 project that we were implementing was me just training people. And let's just for a second. Your first iteration of that project was in the like, was like, I mean, I I don't remember exactly, like like 10 to 20,000. Like, yeah. So I started out doing probably 10 to 15 K 10 to 15 K. Right. Those are your your project rates that you would put in your lead product. You'd say, okay, now to implement this, it'll be 10 to 15 K. And then that increased. That increased partially because of the kind of clients I was working with. So I went from working with like solopreneur type people to agencies Uh and the agencies needed a little bit more complicated systems because they had more complicated processes, they had bigger teams, and there was a lot of customization I was doing. So yeah, so that evolved into like $50,000, $60,000. And then that evolved into a, why am I training all these people when I could be doing this in a recurring revenue model? Well, it was just, why are you guys paying me to try and train somebody to be me, which Uh is essentially what I was doing? Right. Why don't you just hire me and I will do this for you? And it makes the projects much easier to implement because I have the authority because I am the COO or the CTO or the CFO. Like I'm the person who's ultimately going to execute this process and I need much less bureaucracy. We don't have to have as much review. Like it was much easier because I was positioned as I'm doing this in-house for you. And what I realized is I didn't like doing the day-to-day project management in somebody else's business. Like I like doing project management. I didn't like managing somebody else's clients because it was really hard for me to take a step away because people were depending on me to run their business every day. Like I really enjoyed the strategy, the system setup. I really enjoyed the financial part of it. And I didn't so much like the operations part outside of the strategy. Like I didn't like the day-to-day operations because it made it so hard for me to take a break, which was a Real priority for me. Which was a positive for the model you had right before, which was training other people. As annoying as that may have been, like you train them and then... I train them and I left. And and so me personally, I really like working in intensive styles. I really like project-based work, uh, but it didn't ultimately work for what I needed my business to be doing at that point. And I really didn't like the, you know, the 60K project implementation is great. But what happens if you finish it and there's not one waiting? And, you know, there's not a ton of people out there that are like, yeah, I totally want to pay for 60K. And I mean, there there are. <laughs> I yeah. like working with them. That's that's kind of what happened is I got into businesses that were too bureaucratic. And mm-hmm. I just didn't enjoy the let's review this in a room of six people. I oh really God. wanted to work with. No, thank you. Founders who are going to make decisions because they make decisions quickly. Yeah. They have autonomy. You're fast. Uh, you don't want to be you're and- dragged down by these groups <laughs> I- of their opinions and they don't understand what you're doing. Exactly. So, yeah. I, And I really liked the relationship of working with somebody one-to-one as a founder to help them accomplish what they wanted to accomplish in their business. I really liked that relationship. And so I kind of, I did the integrator COO for about a year. And during that process, I was listening inside of the businesses I was working with and paying attention because I was still doing a few software projects in addition to these because I I didn't want to turn down anything that was coming in and I hadn't really fully switched my positioning. 
and realizing that these people were hiring outsourced CFOs and me going, why are you, why are you doing that? Like we could have done that together. And this other, having this other person in it is kind of just putting a fly in the ointment here because mm. when I'm trying to streamline your systems, they're connecting to your QuickBooks or your Zero, And then we have to run that past a third party that's not even in-house for you and going, why didn't you guys hire me for this? And then realizing that I hadn't told anybody that I was a professional CFO. Right. I've been positioning myself as a software consultant, having all of this financial expertise and not using it or not. I guess it wasn't that I wasn't using it. It's that when I was using it, people weren't ready to like, that's not the kind of advice they were expecting from me because they had hired a software consultant Mm. Uh, and realizing that they were hiring virtual CFOs. That's what they were looking for. That's actually not very far off from what I was doing and going, well, maybe I should just try calling myself that. Maybe I should just be a virtual CFO with expertise in software and process and somebody who looks at the big picture ecosystem. And so I guess over just over a year ago, I switched to start talking about myself as a virtual CFO, which seems like a weird transition until you realize that, you know, for that whole four years, I was I was a CFO in my day job. Yeah. And can I just point out that this evolution is something that it, it it feels like it had to play out for you. You had to be doing all of these different things. And I. I use you as an example, not by name, <laughs> but I use you as an example of the first time you branded because you had yeah. decided it was for accountants and bookkeepers. Remember, yeah. like it was October. Yeah, like what, I remember it specifically. You were like, this is my niche. Were like, yeah, you were like, I, and you built the whole website. I was like, Susan, go get a client. You were like, I, I know that this is my niche. And then you like had one client and you were like, I don't want to work with them. <laughs> yeah. You're like, I'm changing this completely. I want creative people instead. But right, that was a, a micro version of this example. But what yes. I want to point out that is so great about your evolution is you you had to kind of find exactly what that positioning made sense for you with all the things you brought to the table. And just because you didn't know it was, you know, virtual CFO three years ago doesn't mean you didn't get it right. It means, you know, like you were making money that entire time and you were finding exactly where you fit in, given the suite of expertise that you bring to the table. And I just want to say that because I, I just, I find myself saying to people a lot, like, you're not going to like find the answer at the very beginning. And like, that's what you'll be for the rest of your life. It's like, (laughs) it's a process, but it's a great process because you really landed strong. And I don't think you could have been this kind of virtual CFO if you had decided you were a virtual CFO four years ago. Correct me if I'm No, I absolutely think it had to play out like this. And I had to experiment. You know, I had to say, okay, I need recurring income for my business. What could that look like? And, you know, the integrator actually wasn't the first recurring retainer I tried. I originally tried something called an assurance plan where I was doing software maintenance on, you know, so like I was there as their on-demand tech support for the software that I implemented. And man, did I hate that. (laughs) Yeah. Because that's so beneath the level of strategy and thought that you actually bring. Yeah. Yes. And I didn't enjoy it at all. So I think I sold one and I did it and quickly realized I hated it and shifted. But yeah, there was every time I tried something, I went into it with, I think this is the thing right now. Let's see how it works. Do I like providing this kind of service? Do I Mm. like the way that packaging it? Does it work well for my clients? Do I get good results? How am I positioning it? And it really had to be an evolution. I don't, there is no way I would have come to start ScaleSpark calling myself a virtual CFO at the beginning. Like it just never, Mm -hmm. quite honestly, I came out of being a virtual CFO for an accounting firm, sort of not necessarily traumatized, but really sure I didn't want to do that <laughs> because it would have meant something so different four years yeah, ago based on your experience really different to me right and I had to yeah really try things out and one of the things that I think has probably been the best learning experience over the last four years is that I work really hard now to not build the thing until I sell the thing I build the thing to the point where here's what it is. Are you interested? 
And then I will build the process behind the scenes as I'm doing the first one. And that has been a very difficult, (laughs) painful learning experience for me because I love building systems and I want to build out the whole thing Mm -hmm. uh, before I sell it so that it's super professional and super ready to go. And I realized that I was just wasting my time and spinning a lot of wheels. And really everything that I've had success with has been based off of what somebody else told me to build. <laughs> what is that? You know, mean? when somebody's like, hey, I wish, I wish that it was like this. Ah. And we go, all right, well, it's going to be like that now. <laughs> ah. <laughs> um, and that's been very effective, but it also took me a long time to. That's a dangerous that- message to put out there. <laughs> don't tell people I that. I don't do it every time, but for example, let's clarify. You're not listening. You're not, I'm not listening to what they're doing. No, no, no. no. That's how I'm developing new, new services, new offerings is me saying to to their needs. They're saying, I really wish I had something like this. And you're bringing a huge amount of expertise and saying, well, then this is what that should be in order to solve that problem. Yeah, I think a really good example is back in May, I was, so after kind of the whole coronavirus thing happened, I lost about half of my retainers all at once, which really sucked. And went to go get new clients and was like, huh, I'm not really in the room with the kind of people that I can afford to be one-on-one clients and in the room with all of these people that are like, Hey, I desperately want to work with you and I can't afford to. And so I was like, huh, maybe I should come up with something that they can work with me. How, what, what would that look like? And so I ended up doing a whole series of interviews with them saying, you know, what kind of support do you like? What, what, sort of problems do you have? Why do you think that I might be a good person to work with? What do you, you know, if you were going to create something and you're, you know, wave your magic wand, what does that look like? And I took kind of the totality of those interviews and found the common threads. And that actually became a new group coaching program called Think Like a CFO, that it it was never really in my path. Like that's not how I ever envisioned growing my business or the kind of work that I was going to do with clients. But that's what evolved was people actually wanted me to be teaching them things. And I really liked teaching them things. Mm, Very cool. Well, tell us about this program. Did you start it yet? So the pilot ran this summer. I'm just finishing up the pilot. So I call it kind of an accelerator online workshop group coaching hybrid. And it's designed really to help business owners think more strategically about their business. So to be able to think like a CFO and some of it is financial aspects. So we do a lot of like, how do you improve your cash flow and what are the different triggers you can use and how can we use the data inside your business to help you make better decisions is really what we're trying to accomplish is what information do you have inside your business and how do you make better decisions using it? Because that's ultimately what a CFO does is they're the person that can form all of those, can see all of the different connections in your business mm-hmm. and then take that information and use it to turn it into what should I do next? Because that's really what business owners care about is what do I do next? Right. How do I know that I'm making the right decision? How do I know I'm making the right investment? So you... And I both like like to talk about money (laughs) all the time. time. And I think about money and try to think strategically about money, right? And I talk about money with my clients all the time. My question to you is, I think it's a question. I think this is a big question for me oftentimes, but I am guessing other people have this question too, which is when I hear that, like being strategic about money and finding these different ways. I think a lot of people go to like, well, what does it matter when you don't have enough money? (laughs) Or like when you can't get the clients, like what does it matter? You know, this sounds like like rich people problems. So it's not, I I wouldn't say it's a rich people problem, but I am also not the person that's going to teach you how to sell your thing. So, you know, one of your things is, Make sure you're telling people, no, I am not the person who is working with early staged business owners very frequently. Most of the people I'm working with have figured out how to sell the thing. Because really, the most important thing is figure out how to sell your thing. And until you 
know how to sell the thing, the rest of it kind of is kind of a second tier problem. Mm. Now, if you are really good at selling the thing, you can ignore your financial health for quite a while because um, <laughs> right. because you have enough cash. Yeah. To, I don't have enough cash is, well, I'm just going to go sell another retainer. So right. if you if you've solved for how do I sell the thing? Then the question becomes, how do I deliver this thing efficiently? How do I get past my capacity ceilings? How do I make sure that I am effectively using every dollar that I'm investing in my business to make sure that I'm getting the most out of that investment? So it's a different set mm. of questions because I'm working with a different kind of business owner um, who has figured out, who's, who's iterated through that early stage, who has figured out I'm selling the thing fairly consistently. I know how to position myself. That is relatively solid. Mm -hmm. And now I have to figure out how to scale this thing. Mm. And what kind of businesses are we talking about? So I work exclusively with service businesses. Service businesses have a unique set of problems because it's such a flexible thing. Like a retail business, you're like, when I owned a running store, I said, hey, I own a running store and everybody knows what that is, right? And there's a pretty constrained way that you go about business. You have to buy inventory, you have to sell inventory, and there's kind of this construct of how that's supposed to happen. Like that's not true in a service business. In a service business, your offerings can be whatever you want it to be. The way you're packaging it can be whatever you want it to be. You can sell courses, you can have a community, maybe you have four different revenue streams. Like it's a much more um, customizable business, but that also means there's a whole other set of problems that come with it. Right. There isn't, you know, there isn't a template, there isn't a framework that it, there is with like a retail business. So yeah, so I well, there are lots of frameworks. There, there are lots of frameworks. <laughs> I work with people that have realized that they are past frameworks. And I think there is a time yeah. for frameworks. And that's usually at the beginning because you need to try stuff. You need to figure out what works. You need to figure out what doesn't. You don't know what you don't know. So you have to try stuff and see what happens and learn from those things. So those aren't necessarily the clients that I work with. I'm normally mm -hmm. working with more exper experienced business owners. Right. So usually at least three years in business, oftentimes closer to like five to 10. Usually depending on the kinds of work that we're working with. You know, the people in Think Like a CFO are usually at least six figures, somewhere between one and five. It really depends. Yeah. One and 5K and, or sorry, 100 to 500K. It's early morning. And then like one-on-one -on -one clients are usually over 750 to a million dollars. So they're just dealing with a different set of problems. Sure. How do you help people decide when to hire? when to hire me or when to hire in general when to hire in general <laughs> totally so different. yes my perspective on hiring is probably a little bit it's similar to yours i think but it's a little bit different from what people most think to me hiring is a tool of kind of last resort if we're talking about team members that should be kind of your your scaling tool of last resort because it's the most expensive so most businesses they're top expenses paying their team. And it's also the hardest to cut. So if you run into a scenario where all of a sudden your cash flow is cut and you don't have work coming in and therefore you're not using your team members, that is a really, really, really difficult conversation to have. And until you are prepared to have that conversation and you are willing to be comfortable telling people that you have to let them go, you shouldn't be hiring them. Like, I think there's a few different things that you need to be able to effectively hire. You need to have some process, some sort of documented crap that's in your head out onto some place that somebody can take. Because most of the times we get sold this whole like, hire a VA, you're overwhelmed and that'll fix it. And it doesn't, it adds to the overwhelm because now you have to manage somebody who's trying to get information out of your head. And instead of you being able to hand it off to people and just be like, oh, cool, we'll run with it. You know, if you hire a, a VA whose job is, is to execute processes, basically, but if they don't have a process to execute, you have right. to spend time 
working with them to figure out what is the process that you should be executing. And a lot of times I've seen that really go wrong with business owners who believe that they're going to come in and kind of solve all of their problems and then get really disappointed that they are not doing what they're expecting of them. But that business owner has never actually clearly communicated right. what they expect. So, so for me, misunderstanding it, of what a, an employee really is. Yeah, totally. And so now when you're working with like consultants who are experts at the thing that you, at, that they do, you can kind of say, cool, you're in charge of this now. You tell me how to execute this. Awesome. And that is a different kind of hiring, I think, than actually hiring in a team member. Ah. And so hiring a team member, hiring, even if it's just as a contract or part-time kind of thing, you need to be able to have to like clearly explain what you expect of them, have something that they can then execute. And you need to be comfortable knowing that you might have to have an uncomfortable conversation with that person. Um, and I've seen business owners who have a crisis, get really cash strapped, and then hold on to team members that they shouldn't be because they are responsible for their livelihood. And they, right. like, I, I get it. You know, you don't want to let your team members down. You don't want to put them in a bad financial position. But, you know, the thing that is right for your business is to let them go. And that is really, really, really difficult. So my kind of position on hiring is hire as a last resort and hire when you're really, truly busy, like not having a busy week or having a busy couple of weeks, like when that thing that you are going to hire for is consistently overwhelming so that they come in and they have a full plate to actually tackle because everybody hates coming into a job and then be like, so what do you want me to do? And I'm right. like, I don't have anything to do. <laughs> I know. I am. Whenever you're bored at work, it takes it's it really lengthens the amount of time you're working. Oh, it's awful. I hate being bored at work. And I, I, I think most people do. like yeah. people want to do a good job. They want to right. deliver value. They want to do good things. And if they are bored, they don't get to do that. And it's just really demoralizing. <laughs> I had a friend. I, I wish I remembered the actual number, but he said. I don't, I don't remember the number, but he said every employee that you bring in should, you're bringing them in in order to make you something X, what you're paying yeah. them. Like they should be able, you should be able to see why having them creates an extra $200,000, $500,000 of revenue in your business. And that's when you bring employees in. Absolutely. And I think that's also a good metric. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of nuance to when do you hire and who do you hire. And a lot of it has to do with your own skills and kind of mindset as the founder. Mm -hmm. You know, our businesses, we create the businesses. And because of that, our business reflects us. So if you are somebody who is really good at sales and you love sales, you might end up creating a business where you're selling a lot and you have horrible processes behind the scenes or you have really insecure financial health because you don't pay attention to it because your solution is always, well, I'll just go sell another client, mm -hmm. which works up until a point, And then you start just imploding. <laughs> you know, at some point, the actual operations of your business are going to start imploding. Likewise, if you're somebody like me, I love building systems. I love it. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> but that means that for the first couple of years of my business, it was really hard to get sales because I didn't want to do it. Like I didn't feel comfortable with it. And I was mostly selling to like word of mouth, referral, people that knew me because I didn't come from a marketing background. I didn't come right. from a sales background. My previous businesses, my husband did the sales part because he really likes that part. Mm. So it was a whole skill set that I had to build up that really impacted the health of my business because I needed sales, but that's not, that wasn't my happy place. So I built a business that had really strong systems and ignored the part where like I should be going and getting new clients like that was always the harder part for me that's definitely changed over four years of like really focusing on building those skills but what did you do to build those skills hired people <laughs> I mean so to work I, with you so on it no at the beginning I was hiring courses I learned about copywriting I learned about 
marketing. I learned about all of those things. And uh -huh. that led me down the path of like hiring copy coaches and hiring branding experts and hiring marketing people, not necessarily to do stuff for me, but to help me figure out how to understand this whole part of the business that was new, one, because it was a, my first kind of service business where I really had to pay attention to it. And also the transition from like physical brick and mortar businesses to a service business that was all about me was really mentally difficult for mm -hmm. me. Because when I said I own a guest ranch or I own a running store, people knew what that was. And when I was trying to talk about what I did at ScaleSpark, I had a really hard time doing it. But yeah, so I took courses, I worked with coaches, really paid attention to sales and marketing. And that's still where I spend most of my hiring dollars now, um, because I'm trying to offset what are not my interests and some of my weaker areas of the business. Like I don't need to hire somebody um, to do bookkeeping because my bookkeeping is automated now. I, it takes about 10 minutes a day or a week. It really, there's no point in me hiring that out. It's part of my expertise. But for a lot of business owners, that is a logical place for them to spend money so that they have good financial data, that it happens consistently. And it's not their skill set. It's not their expertise. Mm -hmm. So for me, I spent most of my money le either learning how to do marketing or hiring marketers. And it's probably been on, only in the last year or so that I've actually hired people to do it for me because I got to the point where I was interested in learning it, but also learned enough to realize that I am never going to be a great copywriter. I'm going to be an okay copywriter. I'm not going to be a great copywriter because I don't want to be a copywriter. <laughs> I think, but I think that's the right attitude and approach. And I think when you said, I don't want to be like selling yourself and that wasn't your skill set and you hire out, I think a lot of people want to hire out the sales completely because they don't want to do it or they don't know how to do it or they don't like it and and or hire out the marketing completely because they don't know how to do it or they don't want to do it. And I think those two things, because they really are the lifeblood of your business, um, the sales and the marketing, right? A business does not exist. You have to understand it. So even if you want to, and I've, I've also made that mistake of, of hiring salespeople before I had sold something. And it was the biggest, it was a huge expense that didn't work because you have to know how to sell and market your own thing you don't have to be the best salesperson and best marketer, but you have to know how to do it enough that when you hire those people, you can understand what you're asking them to do, whether or not they're doing a good job, like who is the best person for that. You have to be an informed consumer in those two more than anything else. I, I absolutely think that's true. And I think I wouldn't have understood the value of like hiring a really good copywriter without having tried to do it a hundred times myself. Yes. <laughs> And I wouldn't understand how to think about marketing strategy without having had a whole bunch of times where I did it wrong and spending a lot of time understanding the principles behind it to get to the point where somebody else can do it better than I can. But I can also have really educated conversations with them about the nuances of mm. how do my, what do my clients think? What kind of questions are they you know, coming in, what kind of problems are am I solving? Because that's the kind of stuff that I think you learn through a little bit through evolution. But you have to be thinking about that when you are talking to clients like that, that sales and marketing stuff has to be in the back of your mind. So you can take that data and then use it with the marketing and sales people in your business. And I will say, I think sales is probably the last thing anybody should outsource in their service business. Yes. Like it is the last thing. Everything else has to be, the goal should be to get you as the founder out of the rest of it so that you can focus on sales because ultimately nobody's going to sell this business. Nobody's going to sell your services better than you will. And that was a really difficult thing for me to learn. Like we tried to have my husband come in and do sales for me really early on because mm. I was like, I don't want to learn this. I don't want to do it. It makes me really <laughs> uncomfortable. Like, uh. yeah. And he couldn't because he was not me. He didn't really understand what I was doing with clients. And so it, it was really difficult for him to sell the thing. And it was also really difficult for me to explain to him how to sell the thing. And ultimately what made it easier for me was implementing 
the lead product and getting out of proposals. Like that was for me such an emotionally freeing thing. Cause I was just like, here's the thing. Here's how much it is. It oh, works or it doesn't. And that that's was why I made it in my business. Like, I, hated sales sales too. <laughs> because I, like, I love building relationships with people. I yeah. love having those conversations with people, but I don't want to negotiate with anybody. No. I don't want to like, uh, just here's the thing. I built the thing. I built it for you. It's going to solve your problems. Here's how much it is. You either want it or you, or you don't. <laughs> you want it or you don't. That's not a sale. Right. That's not what we classically refer to or think of when we think of sales. When you say, I want my husband to do the sales, you're thinking of something very different than like, yeah. let me talk to somebody and see if this thing I made that is awesome <laughs> should be something that they do. That's totally yeah. different. It's a reframing. Like, it, but it really took me reframing sales to conversations and mm. using process essentially in my business so that I don't have to feel like I'm selling. Um, I'm so with you. I'm so with you. I mean, I, you know, I, I think most of the things that people do in life are a reaction to their fears and like <laughs> the things that they don't want to do. And for me, like my whole business is like to get away from all the things I didn't want to do, <laughs> like get on a phone call and try to convince someone to hire me for branding and explain to them why branding is so important. It's like, oh, I don't want to do any of that. Like, how can I not do that? lead product. <laughs> well, then I think there's a lot of there's a lot of similarities between folks' approach to sales and marketing in their business and their approach to their finances. So people mm. almost universally feel incompetent or less than capable when it comes to their money, which is entirely valid because we don't teach this. Right. Like we don't teach business finance. It's not like you start your business and somebody hands you an operation manual or hands you a way to understand how to read a profit and loss statement, like that is skipped. We focus on marketing and sales because like I said, you have to solve that problem. If you don't have sales, you don't have a business. Like that mm -hmm. is fundamentally what it comes down to. But people are very intimidated by the financial piece of their business. And so they ignore it or they outsource it and they're like, oh, I have a bookkeeper. So, you know, it's stuff's taken care of, which is untrue because the bookkeeper's job in your business is to enter financial data into your system so that you have accurate numbers to make decisions. But if you are not paying attention to it, you can't use any of the data and it doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, my God. Do you remember how how what a horrible mess the bookkeepers I mean you fixed my whole bookkeeping system but they had butchered it for two years and I paid them so much money to butcher it and only when you fixed it and kind of showed me how to do it I, you know I, did I understand how they had been doing it so poorly that whole time but I couldn't even understand it because I didn't quite have a grasp on what the purpose of the bookkeeping was right and really yeah. the purpose of the bookkeeping is to give you accurate financial data so that when you're trying to make decisions in your business you have a place to go and say hey did this work you mm -hmm. know and a lot of bookkeepers you know so I come to financial data from a place of business intelligence I want to use financial data to make decisions. And I want it organized in a way that makes it really easy for me to figure out what the answer to my question is. So for example, one of the things that mm -hmm. we did with you was to organize your financial data so that each of your different revenue streams, each of your different brands was kind of tagged. So you can see which revenue streams are most profitable, which ones are most efficient, what's not doing so well, and maybe you should either pay attention to it and figure out how to do it more effectively or stop doing it completely. But most financial systems, they have the capability to do that, but that's not the priority of the bookkeeper. The bookkeeper's priority is to enter transactions that come in from the bank into your account and then make sure that it matches the bank statement at the end of the month. Like that's their goal. But a, a business owner, their goal from their finances should be, what can I use? How can I use this information to decide where to invest my effort, where to invest my money and how I'm using my resources most effectively? And so I think there's a, there's a feeling like, oh, I, people told me I should hire a bookkeeper. So I hired a bookkeeper, but then we ignore it. Like we do with, you know, when, when we're talking about people hiring sales 
people are hiring marketing people like oh just they'll just deal with the problem and the goal for all of these things is to help you be a better business owner and help you make better decisions about where to invest your time your money and your resources Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yeah well only after it or outsourcing it means you don't have that you're not building those muscles you don't have the you don't get to use that data and being able to use that data. I like to say it's kind of like having a superpower, like being able to understand how marketing works and understand how sales work and understand how your finances work allows you as the business owner to take all of that information and make well-informed strategic decisions about your business and what to do with it. And I remember when they moved me over, that other bookkeeping <clears throat> CPA company uh, moved me over to zero two years before you fixed it. And, you know, m- we must have had conversations about how they were going to set it up. But the questions they asked me were assuming that I understood certain things about what I was going to be trying to do. And I didn't. And I didn't know enough about it to be able to tell them what the correct answer was. So only after you know, us doing this again, did I go, oh, why is it set up this way? This is not helpful at all to me. (laughs) These are the silos that I need everything to be put into now that I understand what, what this could be very useful for. But, but, and that is, by the way, what I see is so valuable of consultants in general who bring a breadth of knowledge and not just the expertise in the one area, but the understanding of business in general, which is what you're doing. It's it's being able to ask the right questions to, to illuminate what somebody might not know they don't know instead of assuming that they do know it. And that's what this this CPA kind of, I don't know if they assumed it or not. I don't think they really were thinking about it or cared, <laughs> frankly. So, I mean, really, if you think about like a CPA is there to do your taxes. So they're going to ask questions about your taxes in the same way that like if you're talking to a project management software platform and you're looking for support from them, all they care about is can you hit the right buttons? Do you know where to hit the right buttons? But the nuance is really in the strategy. And that's true on both sides. Sure. So accountants, one think that you know. (laughs) Uh, Like they do. They think that you are talking, they're saying things to you and they think that you are understanding and that you are doing the strategy piece to be able to answer the questions and give them the nuances to make choices. I mean, the easy answer is that accountants aren't really trained in soft skills. Like they're, (laughs) you're, you're a tax person for the most part. And this is changing a little bit as the accounting community gets disrupted. But for the most part, they want to sit in a room and just file tax returns. They want to enter things in here and never never see you and never talk to you as a client. That's their goal. Their goal is the tax return. But Your actually goal. also the people, sorry to interrupt, but the the there's also the lack of financial literacy that you were talking about before is also part of that because I actually have a lot of accountants in my world because I was on the Profit First podcast and yep. And like attracted all of these accountants all of a sudden. And the people that I attracted are the people who really want to be in the strategy. And they have a very hard time, and this is what they're always asking me about, of educating their clients on how important the strategy piece of it is because the clients come in and they're like, can't you just do my taxes? And they're like, no, 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 that's not, that's, that's not going to do what you need it to do. So anyway, I'm just throwing that in the hat. It's also that they don't understand how to educate the clients about that. Right. So we have this issue where the accountants don't understand how to educate the clients and sometimes don't realize that they need to educate the clients. Mm -hmm. The clients don't realize that they need to be educated or that having financial literacy allows them to get more out of the value of that relationship. And this is actually one of my biggest takeaways from running the pilot of Think Like a CFO this summer was realizing the inadequacy of the financial literacy of business owners, even really experienced business owners are kind of missing this piece because nobody was like, hey, here's why your accounting system is important. Here's how you get good support from your business or from your financial people in your business. Here's what their role is and what you should expect from them. And here's your responsibility as the client to come in. And so one of the things that actually evolved out of Think Like a CFO is a new course that I'm offering, which is basically... (laughs) The Cliff Notes version of business finance for business owners. So, you know, 
How do you do a cash flow projection and why does it matter? How do you read a profit and loss statement? What reports should you be looking at every month? How do you get how how do you get the most out of the relationship with that accountant? So the goal is really to kind of meet people can kind of fill that gap of here's the financial literacy that you need to be able to get to the point where you can think strategically about your business and have those higher level discussions with the financial support that you have. Very cool. Everybody needs that and they don't know it. <laughs> and that's what's um, exciting about what you're doing. And you make it accessible because you have a podcast. Where you I do have a podcast this. called Break the Ceiling, where we talk about different strategies to increase your capacity ceiling, really. So sometimes that's finance, sometimes it's technology, sometimes it's workflow type stuff. It's usually operations and finance semi-geeky. All that sexy stuff. Didn't it say systems are sexy on your website at one point? Yep. Very, very. That was the very first. um, When it was associated with Grindr. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Grind revive systems are sexy. (laughs) I wonder. (laughs) I wonder why. I, 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 I liked that because I agree. I agree. Well, Susan, it's been a pleasure catching up with you. So great to have you here. When is that new Cliff Notes out? So it'll open for pre-order mid-October, and then it'll be available all the time uh, at the beginning of November. Cool. Well, I'll put the link in the show notes. Thanks. Thanks, Susan. Good talking to you. Thank you. You too. To check out Susan's Cliff Notes Finance program, Not Rocket Finance, go to scalespark.com or piasilva.com backslash podcast, and I will link to them in the show notes. Also, if you know other entrepreneurs who struggle to put their business in its place and could benefit from hanging out with us, please share this podcast with them. Hard work can only take you so far. It's how you show up in your business that really makes a difference. And to make sure that you don't miss an episode of Show Your Business Who's Boss, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast player. Susan shared with us that over the years, the core work she's done for clients hasn't changed much, but the way that she presents herself has evolved quite a bit. What I like about her story is it's a great demonstration of what positioning means. Because Susan knows about technology and systems and finance and accounting and business strategy, she could position her business in any number of ways, and they would speak to and attract different clients with different problems. The positioning is just the entry point. Behind the scenes, Susan and so many of you bring tons of expertise to the table. But a brand that talks like a diner menu is not going to grab attention. You have to focus and be specific. Try stretching your thinking today and consider how many different ways you could position yourself that you maybe haven't considered before. When we repositioned our agency-style branding company that went after huge clients to only selling brand-ups to one- to three-person service businesses, the work itself was almost exactly the same. But the process through which we delivered it and who it was for and what it was called were all much more specific. You may surprise yourself and find an option you hadn't considered before. And that might just be your next step in showing your business who's boss. 